reading in your Bible in text for the message this morning, Judges chapter 13, four verses, verses 1 through 3, and then verse 15. Judges 13, verse 1, And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines forty years. And there was a certain man of Zorah of the family of the Danites whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and bare not. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, Behold now, thou art barren and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. And then Manoah, conversing with this divine angel, verse 15, Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, I pray thee, let us detain thee until we shall have made ready a kid for thee. Turn with me, if you will, please again in your hymn book before the message and stand with me. We sing together number 487. Jesus demands this heart of mine, demands my love. My joy, my care, but oh, how dead to things divine, how cold my best affections are. Tis sin, alas, with dreadful power. Divides my Savior from my side. Oh, for one happy shining hour of sacred freedom, sweet divine. Lord, thy love can raise my captive powers from sin and death and fill my heart and life with grace and to my last expiring breath. Subtitled The Message This Morning, if you would like to have it, not printed in the bulletin. Helpful Gleanings. We have studied now for several weeks this 13th chapter. In the record of Israel's judges. And it has been my method. In order to an exposition of these scriptures. It has been my method to use various phrases lifted from the text itself. To serve as guideposts. Or lighthouses, if you prefer the imagery. 
to serve as lighthouses for our exegesis. I set our hearts to linger for a while at first on Mrs. Manoah under that phrase, alone in a field. Next, we undertook the lessons from Manoah's life under that phrase in verse 11, Manoah arose. And then we went on to bask in the warm sunlight of the person of Christ under that phrase and using that singular word, an angel named Wonderful. Finally, in our last message, we took up the study of this passage again under that sad and lamentable phrase in verse 16, and Manoah knew not. I can only hope, and I do hope with all my heart, that these studies have helped and will redound to God's glory and our edification. And so now this morning, we take up this chapter again. And I shall seek to conclude its study by borrowing again a phrase from its record. This time from the text in verse 15, and from that verse, I would borrow Manoah's words and make them my own words to you when I ask you this morning, pray, let me detain thee yet a while longer in this chapter. Let me detain thee yet a while longer in the treasures of this glorious record. From it this morning, I would have our hearts to dwell only briefly on just a few of the golden nuggets spread graciously around in this passage, which have not yet been covered or touched in the expositions. Our first lesson or golden nugget, if you please, is pronounced with solemn brevity in that very first verse. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines forty years. Now before I give you the specific point, I would have you just set before your mind once again the scene described in verse 1. Forty years. Forty years of submission to a foreign power. Forty years of subordination under a tyrannical and cruel nation who sapped them of every resource. Forty years Israel has suffered. Go to bed at night under bondage. Wake every morning only to find themselves still under bondage. Forty years. Forty years. And so the question that leaps up in our hearts unavoidably 
And the lesson that would come to our hearts from this text and the answer to the question is the golden nugget that I would give you. The question is, why does God delay? Why does God delay for so long? Why does God sometimes linger for so long? Forty years. As I meditated on that, I know that every one of you can identify. Maybe I can help us to to set our hearts in this text by just some inadequate, I'm sure, but some relevant experience. I've had times when some pain in your body, some suffering, something, whether it's a tooth or a some other pain, you ladies who've gone through the experience of childbirth, there's times when 40 minutes can seem like an eternity. Is it not so? Have you not found it so? But this isn't 40 minutes. This isn't even 40 days. It isn't even 40 months. It's 40 years. And the heart of God's people must surely cry out under such conditions. Why has God lingered so long? Oh, here, here is a question that is painfully relevant for all of God's sheep. Here is a question we've all asked. In the throes of life's deepest valleys. Surely if you're a saint here today. And been saint for long. You've asked this question. Why is God waiting? Why is he tearing? Here's a question on which. I need not tell you. That many useful volumes. Have been written. And yet, we struggle still. <laughs> I have certain volumes in my room, in my old bedroom. That I don't even keep them in the library. I keep them in my bedroom. Because I have to go back and go back and go back. And I've read them and I know what they said. And I've tried to learn the lessons they taught me. But I find that I still struggle. I still struggle. Oh, so searching is this question. And so deep is this ocean that we can make no attempt in the confines of one sermon to exhaust its riches. But for our purposes here this morning, we will confine our inquiries to that which our text would give to us. And that is all too clear in verse 1. Why is God lingering? And the answer I say in verse 1 is all too clear. Israel's sin. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. Oh, how wisely did the blessed Thomas Boston in one of those volumes that I referred to a while ago when I said many volumes have been written. One blessed volume. He warns us in this invaluable volume written somewhere around 1707 Thomas Boston wrote that blessed book, The Crook in the Lot. And in it he said this, and I quote him. He said, a just view of afflicting incidents 
is altogether necessary. A just view of this question is altogether necessary to a Christian deportment under them. And that view is to be obtained only by faith and not by sense. Later on he goes on and says it cannot be questioned. But that the crook in the light considered as a crook is a penal that is a legal evil. Whatever it is for the matter thereof, that is, whether the thing in itself is immediate, its immediate cause and occasion be sinful or not, it is certainly a punishment and an affliction for sin. Now he says, such holy, holily and justly brought on us by our sovereign Lord and Judge, so he expressly claims doing or making it. In Amos 3 and verse 6, shall there be evil in a city and the Lord hath not done it. Says Thomas Boston in that classic work, we need look no further when we find ourselves in a place of affliction and when we find our God delaying and when we find it going on and on and on. We look no further than this. Our sin. Our sin. Oh, such is the frailty and failings of our nature that all too often we will draw down the ire and displeasure of our God and he will delay and leave us in it for a long while. Oh, will you indulge me this morning to take up the words of yet another great work by Joseph Simon's Somewhere around 1647 when he wrote The Case and Cure of Spiritual Desertions. He would instruct our hearts in these words. A man would not think that he is so bad as he is while he enjoyeth an abundance of aid and spiritual grace. As, for example, while the soul is in the body, that purifying quality, that is the soul in the body, has this purifying quality, and the filthiness of it doth not so much appear. But when the soul hath left the body, then it becomes a rotten, unsavory carcass. And a foul channel while it's fed with continual issues and streams of pure water from a clear fountain showeth not its filth. But when the streams are cut off, then the foulness of it is discovered. If God do but take his hand and cut off the influence of his spirit and clip the collar of our vile affections Oh, what monsters start up. And what a cage of unclean birds. What a den of beasts. What a habitation of devils do our hearts appear to be. What a blackness of darkness covers the earth when the sun is gone. Yea, the air that now seems so lucid and clear. How filled with dark and storms and Fogs it is when the sun's withdrawn from it. Herein is shame cast upon the soul, and a man is made vile in his own eyes when he seeth his own image and complexion and findeth himself overgrown with blotches and sores rising from abundance of filthy humors in his own soul. He that in a day in sunshine 
of quickening grace, thought he had been freed from his lusts, shall wonder with shame and astonishment to see in a night of desertion what darkness will appear and what fierce lusts will show themselves like lions in the evening raging for their prey. Oh, while we're under the sunshine of God's blessings, what a deceiving view we may get of our own hearts. But you let the Lord desert us. You let the Lord pull back. You let the Lord do what He did to Israel in verse 1, and we'll find ourselves utterly destroyed under the reality of the darkness of our own hearts. Oh, Israel, sin again against the Lord. Lord, 40 years. Why so long? The simple answer from our text. Your sins. Oh, I concur with you that we are loath to experience such seasons of desertion. But oh, how infinitely deserving are we of these seasons. More of them, I say, than God's grace appoints. More of them than God's grace appoints. All of Zion, says Simons, all of Zion has experienced it. Even this, our Lord Himself has borne this for our sakes. Our Lord experienced it. Simon says in another place, and in this Zion is not alone. Ask David, and you shall hear him as soon as you come near him. Fighting, sobbing, crying, and roaring. But what saith he? What ails him? Oh, he tells us, Psalm 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? See how well their testimony agrees. How can a man look upon David and not count him as a poor orphan? That's left in a woeful cage, friendless, helpless, and comfortless. But yet we will hear a greater than David. That he is the captain of our salvation, the first and head of the whole order. And what he saith, and he will go no further to ask of us. David was a type of Christ, and as himself was but the shadow of Christ's person, so was his sorrow but a shadow of Christ's sorrow. David did but taste of the cup, which Christ drank more deeply. When in anguish of soul upon the cross he took his own words and adopted them. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This cup, listen now, this cup, we read of the history of it in verse 1 of this chapter. This cup hath gone round ever since so that few have ever tasted of the waters of life but that they have drunk from the waters of Mara. few have ever tasted the water of life that haven't also tasted from these waters why so long Lord why so long? Why is God, our God sometimes so long in coming to our aid? May I just let that blessed pastor from 1615 that I've loved so much 
Timothy Rogers, can I just let him answer the question for us? He says, if ye ask why he doth not, as well take them out of their troubles, as well he pitieth them in them. And why he suffereth his people to lie in bondage so long to their enemy, until Samson grew up and was able to begin to deliver them. I answer, he were willing and ready to do it. And much more than they hoped. If it might be good for them. But that cannot be. While they still harbor and nourish their sins. But they would procure upon themselves greater vexation by continuing their wicked course. If the Lord should deliver them before they repent for their sin, as hath been often proved by the example of these Israelites crying for ease, but never heard until by repentance the Lord was grieved for their mercy. So that God suffering their oppressions to hold them under a long time as this his people was by theirs, namely from the birth of Samson till he came to men, man's estate and after it. It is, it was not for that he taketh pleasure in afflicting his own, but it is for that they relent not, neither cast themselves down before him. There's your simple answer. Oh, I know there are many others and volumes have been written and we could take them up and I could preach for the rest of this year on this subject, but I'm confining myself to this text to answer the question, Lord, why so long? And the answer is in the question in verse 1, because of their sin. There'll be no relief until there's repentance. Oh, may I just say it to you this morning in the simplest terms. Sin unrepented or only half repented will delay the mercies of God. Sin unrepented or only half repented. If you need a definition of that, you just get in your closet and work it out for yourself. I'm sure the Spirit of God can help you. Sin unrepented or only half repented will delay the sure mercy of God. Why so long, Lord? Forty. Years. See it. Unrepented or half repented. But now could I just bring our hearts one other precious sidelight from this truth. I shall not be able to get to a second nugget today but I would give you a sidelight from this nugget mercies long waited for usually prove to be the most precious and by them others are encouraged to continue their wait also Oh, you can't read this story, just a casual reading of it, without picking up on the, the joy. I know it isn't named in this text, but you can't help but see it. This angel meets Mrs. Manoah. 
Oh, and she runs, she runs. She runs to tell her husband. Oh, she's been married and an angel has come. God in the angel has come. And she rushes. And her husband rushes to the place of prayer to invite him back. And he comes and he hears that he's come and he rushes again. There's an eagerness. There's a joy. There's a thrill in it all. Oh, how long have they waited? And now the blessing comes. <laughs> oh, mercy's long waited for proved to be the most precious. I've read testimonies. Mothers who wept and fasted, prayed. Fathers who labored and prayed over a child. Years go by, decades go by. And God brings them. Oh, there's no way to describe it. Joy. Mercy's long waited for. Proved to be the most precious. And it encourages others to keep waiting, keep praying, keep watching, keep laboring. They're encouraged when they see mercy's long waited for in others. Oh, how many scripture examples do we need to flesh out this truth to our hearts? I say that only one could suffice. Of all the volumes that are recorded, should could we go there? We won't this morning, but could we go there to Genesis 17 and talk about Sarah? <laughs> oh, God had said you'll have a son who promised seed, but oh, where is he? Where is he? The flesh wearied of waiting, connived of playing, but then the day came, the promised child. <laughs> All that suffice, I'm sure. But bless the Lord, my favorite would be dear old Hannah, First Samuel chapter 1. Dear old Hannah, she's waiting. Chapter 1, verse 7. And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her, therefore she wept and did not eat for Hannah. Year after year after year. Then said Elkanah, her husband, her Hannah, why weepest thou? Why eatest thou not? Why is thy heart grieved? And why not better thee than ten sons? And Hannah rose after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. And Eli the priest sat on a seat by the post of the temple and he, look at verse 10, she was in bitterness of soul. Prayed to the Lord and wept sore. Saint the first time. She's been doing this every year. Year after year after year she's come. Agonizing. Where's God? What is he waiting for? But verse 20. Wherefore it came to pass when the time was come about. After Hannah had conceived, she bare a son. Called his name Samuel, saying, because I've asked him of the Lord. Not just once. Not just twice. Year after year. I've been waiting. I've asked the Lord. Oh, and Hannah prayed, hallelujah, in chapter 2. She prayed and said, my heart rejoiceth in the Lord. Mine heart is exalted in the Lord. 
My mouth is enlarged. <laughs> Woo, over mine enemies, because I rejoice in thy salvation. There is none holy as the Lord. There is none beside thee. Neither is there any rock like our God. Hallelujah. You hear me? She's not just rejoicing for Samuel. She's rejoicing in this God. Hallelujah. Mercy's long waited for. Are precious. I won't read it all for sake of time. But you know it, you read the rest of that chapter, oh, it's a, it's a hallelujah session. She's rejoicing. Why? Because it's been so long. She's waited so long. Oh, but can I remind you why God waits? Sometimes. Sometimes. It's because of our sin. Unrepented or half repented of. But oh, how precious it is when grace comes. <laughs> oh, yes, when grace comes. But now, could I detain thee yet just a little while longer? And give you very quickly a second nugget from our text. Could I show you from our text in verse 8. That the repetition of God's visitations. Are sometimes needed. For a full comprehension. Verse 8, Manoah entreated the Lord and said, Oh, my Lord, let the man of God which thou didst send come again unto us and teach us what we shall do unto the child that shall be born. Repetition of God's visitation are sometimes needed for full comprehension. May I say it a different way for you? Such is the dullness of our perception that sanctification is a lifelong business. And cannot be cut short or rushed to a conclusion. Such is the dullness of our perceptions in the things of God that sanctification is a lifelong business and cannot be cut short or rushed to a conclusion. The repetition of God's visitations are needed. There's a need of patience. There's a need of repetition. There's a need of faithfulness practiced over and over and over. You know how seldom it is I use any practical anecdote. But a couple of three years ago, I don't remember exactly when, I was trying to reach out and find a former pastor of mine. And I did finally find him and called and spoke to his wife. He was a tremendous organist. Played pipe organ and some of the largest churches in this country. Largest churches. Professional organists. When I reached his wife, she said, Oh, I asked her, oh, he's doing very well. Doing well. She said he still practices his scales every day. 
scales. This man had played pipe organ in front of thousands, possibly hundreds of thousands. He still practiced his scales every day. Faithfulness practiced over and over and over. It's necessary. It's necessary. One of the great problems with youth is our eagerness and impatience. Is that not so? Did we not all find it so? One of the problems with the modern degree system in education, you take a, a student and you push them through a set program and at the end of that program you issue them a degree and for all practical purposes in their mind that degree says I've arrived, I'm there I've got it all, I know it all I've got my degree but it's not so that's a problem but listen, listen as our Lord speaks to his disciples. In John chapter 16. John chapter 16. These things have I spoken unto you, that ye should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogue, yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think they he doeth God's service. And these things will they do unto you, because they have not known the Father nor me, but these things have I told you. <laughs> and he's telling them again. And he's going to tell them again. And he just keeps telling them over and over. Repetition. Repetition. We're dull. We are so dull that not only sometimes do we not hear, even when we hear, we don't believe. <laughs> Look at Luke chapter 24 and verse 1. Upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, you'll know this is the scene of the, of the visitation at the tomb. Very early in the morning, they came to the sepulcher bringing Spices which they had prepared and certain others with them and they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments and as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye here the living among the dead? He's not here but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you. How many times did he tell you this? And you didn't get it. Here you are with spices for a body that's not even here. Why are you here? Why are you here? Don't you remember? Verse 8. And they remembered his words. Repetition. Manoah said, can you, Lord, would you send that angel back? I don't yet quite understand. Can I warn you if you're a young saint, Tread softly. I'm not saying don't pray it. You ought to pray for light, but tread softly when you ask the Lord for light. He may carry you some places where you have to learn to walk in light and come again and come again and come again to the same place. Practicing your scales 
I give you again the words of one scholar who said, There are visitations of God and signs of His favor that are not fully comprehended the first time, and their repetition alone can satisfy the cravings of the heart and the wonder of the spiritual understanding. And God is considerate of our weakness and will help us with repetition. You teachers, you know, I know, I know, I know the modern philosophy of education is casted out but those of you with 40 plus years teaching under your belt, you know the importance of repetition again and again and again. Psalm 103 verse 10. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Verse 14, he knoweth our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He remembers. He remembers that we don't. <laughs> he remembers that we don't. He has to repeat himself. I'll give you one example in close. I'll not turn. There's so many in the scriptures. My wife and I looked at several. I give you Abraham. God came to Abraham in chapter 12, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, with that first appearance. Genesis 12, 1 through 3, that first appearance. He told him what he was going to do. You go on down to Genesis 13, verse 14 through 16, he came again. Told him the same thing. You go down to Genesis 15, chapter 15, verse 1 through 4, he came again. Told him the same thing. You go down to Genesis chapter 17, verse 1 and following in that chapter, he came again. Told him the same thing. Go to chapter 18, Genesis 18, verse 1 through 3, he came again. Told him the same thing. Oh, blessed Lord. What's wrong with Abraham? Is he dull? Yes, he is. Same problem you've got. Same problem I've got. Dull. He has to come again. Come again. Come again. But oh, isn't it gracious to keep coming? As fathers, we aren't nearly so patient, are we? I wasn't. When I told somebody's child one time, I didn't mean to have to repeat myself. I said it once. That's all I mean to say it. But oh, our God, so patient. He said he's patient with us like a father pitied his children. He comes again. Manoah treated the Lord, verse 8, Lord, would you send him again? And the Lord did. He did. Repetition of God's visitations are sometimes needed for a full comprehension. Oh, what a nugget that is. What a golden nugget that is from this text. God willing, we take up other nuggets next week. If you would turn with me and stand with me, please. And let's sing together number 486. And are we wretches yet alive? Do we yet rebel? Tis Boundless, tis amazing love 
that bears us up from hell. The burden of our weighty guilt would sink us down to flames and threatening terror rolls above to crush our feeble frames. But Almighty goodness cries, forbear and straight the thunder stays. Dare we now provoke his wrath and weary out his grace. Let's sing together 486. And are we wretches yet alive? And do we yet rebel? Tis boundless, tis amazing love that bears us up from hell. The burden of our waiting guilt would sink us down to flames. The threatening terror rolls above to crush our feeble frame. Almighty goodness cries for and straight the thunder stays and dare we now provoke his wrath and weary out his grace Lord we have long abused thy love too long indulged our our aching hearts now bleed to see what rebels we have been. No more ye lust shall ye command, no more will we obey. Stretch out, O oh God, thy conquering hand, and drive thy away.